We've been talking about this series of the law and the law versus grace. And, and uh, I said something very scary one day. I told you that the, the Ten Commandments given by Moses, that they were a ministry of death and condemnation. And it'd be real easy for you to go, how dare you say that about? But I got that from the Bible. It's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the Ten Commandments were a ministry of death and condemnation. But they came with a glory. But if they came with glory, how much more glorious is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Now, we spent time talking about this, so you don't think I'm a Ten Commandment hater. The Ten Commandments are beautiful, holy, good, and wonderful. It's just we, we're not good at keeping them. And so God had this set up, and he was showing us the law, revealing the law, which revealed our problems, showed us how sinful we were, and the purpose was honestly to reveal that to us, that we can't do it on our own. So that we would finally say, oh my goodness, who's going to rescue me from this? I can't do it. And go, oh, that's the exact place we wanted you to be at. So you will turn to Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law. There wasn't anything wrong with the law. Jesus fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law so that they could be fully met in us. Fully met in us. That's pretty incredible. So Jesus did this work to meet them in us. Now, there's a part of us that says, but Tracy, man, you just got to tell people how sinful they are and how bad they are, and they better straighten up, and they better do this, or they better do that, or they're just going to sin like wild. Well, I've discovered people are good at sinning like wild, regardless of what you teach, okay? So we need to look at what the Bible says. And so we're going to do that today, and we're going to find out what is the secret from Scripture, which isn't a secret, it's clearly revealed, but what helps us move into righteousness? What helps us move into holiness what helps us move into right living and so jesus had a situation where he's talking to some people and we've mentioned it a couple weeks in a row uh, jesus taught all day long he fed the five thousand remember that he had a few loaves a few fish he blessed it broke it fed the people and they were all five thousand plus people filled i think there's like 12 baskets left over after that and then at that night jesus headed out of town and went to someplace totally different well he woke up the next day and they said where's jesus they went to look for Jesus. They couldn't find Jesus. So they went on a recon mission, started looking, asking, searching. They figured out where he was. And they spent all the time, energy, and money to travel to that place. They showed up and Jesus said this. He said, you're not here because of the words I spoke to you. You're here because you got your belly filled yesterday. You had a wonderful meal of fish and chips and you came back for some more. And then he challenged them with something. He said, don't work for food which spoils but work for that which gives eternal life that the son of man will give you and he's been approved by the father and so they ask a legitimate question which is always our question see what the scripture teaches is much easier to do if we'll do what the scripture teaches not what we think we ought to do but our problem is this just like these people they said what must we do what work must we do to do the work that God requires? That's the human dilemma. All of us feel like me, you all of us feel like, I've got to do something. I've got to earn it. I've got to make it happen. I've got to, I've got to deserve this. I'll, I, I know I'll do something to achieve this. And so they ask the question, what works must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus said, here's the work that God requires. Now, when a question like that is asked and Jesus is getting ready to answer, we ought to lean in. Okay, this is going to be important. What work must I do to do the work that God requires or God demands? Here's the answer. Here's the work. This is what Jesus said. Here's the work that God requires. 
to believe in the one he has sent. Did you catch that? To believe in the well, now we preachers and teachers make it super complicated. Jesus made it super easy. To believe in the one he has sent. Now you've heard me talk about this. Bible belief is more than just, oh, okay, I believe that, and then you go on and do whatever. It, a true belief changes your behavior, changes what you do. If I had a stock lead, and I could tell you, if you put $1,000 in this, it'll be worth $100,000 in six months. If you really believe that's your core, what would you do? You would invest the $1,000. You'd say, I don't have no thousand. You would find the $1,000. If you really believe that 1000 would turn into 100000 in six months, you would do that. So real belief actually creates some kind of action in what we do and how we behave. If you just thought, eh, it might be true, it might not be true, I don't know, you wouldn't probably respond to it. So God's always challenging us towards biblical belief is to put our full weight on something to really go for it. So God's saying we need to believe. So we, we find out these insights from Scripture, and I think the first one's Galatians chapter 3. Is that our first one for the day? Galatians chapter 3. Galatians was a church that Paul started in the city of Galatia. And Paul, by the way, was a Jew of the Jews, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a master law keeper. He understood it thoroughly. He was of a particular sect in the Hebrew group called the Pharisees. So they were super into the law and keeping the law. By the way, there was the Ten Commandments, and there were 613 Jewish laws on top of that. And so Paul has been teaching to the Galatians about this freedom we have in Christ, because remember, in the Last Supper, Jesus said this. He said, this is a cup of a new covenant in my blood. And he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So he's, he's starting what he called, and I think Jesus is a truth teller. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. That this shed blood and broken body was going to be a new way, a new covenant to enter into a relationship with God. And so Paul's taught this, what Jesus taught, and the Galatians are having a powerful move of God they're a new church, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the move of God, full of signs, full of wonders, full of miracles. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's pretty wonderful. And so now, let's pick up on the story, because somebody came in and said, hey Galatians, Jesus is awesome, but I want to teach you maybe something that Paul left out. It's Jesus and the law. It's Jesus and, it's Jesus and circumcision. It's Jesus and the 613 Jewish laws. It's Jesus and all these things. And Paul said, oh my goodness, what's going on? So he writes these words. He says, have you experienced so much in vain or for nothing? If it really was in vain, if it really was for nothing. And then he says, so again, I ask. Now, that's a very important question. So again, I ask, did God pour out his spirit? Did God give you his spirit? Capital S, Holy Spirit. Did God give you his Holy Spirit and work what? Miracles among you because you obeyed the law? or because you believed what you heard. Now, it's obvious it's because they believed what they heard. Because they hadn't even been told they had to obey the law yet. And the Holy Spirit's been poured out. Miracles are being operated among them. And Paul's trying to stop them and say, don't go that route. If you go that route of believing it's Jesus and obeying these laws and rules and regulations, which, by the way, You'll never find any place in the New Testament where Gentile believers were told to obey Jewish-only laws. Now, we all are encouraged to obey the universal laws that God gave, but not the Jewish-specific laws. And so here God's saying, you're either going to have to do it my way by the power of the Holy Spirit, or you can try to do it your way and not access the power 
that I'm offering, not access the things that I've given so that you could walk in holiness and righteousness. So I was thinking about this, and I thought about this little spoof I saw on a Super Bowl commercial, and it's a spinoff from the movie Castaway. Now, if you've seen the movie Castaway, if you haven't, I'll tell you enough in the next 40 seconds for you to understand it. Tom Hanks is an executive in FedEx. He's hopping on a ride with the FedEx uh, uh, plane to deliver goods, okay? And so it's not full of people. It's got a handful of people. It's full of, of packages. And on the way, he has a crash, and they land in the ocean. He's gone to a deserted island. He's the only survivor, and all these FedEx packages wash up on the shore. There's one package he chooses not to open. It's kind of like sacred to him. He wants to deliver this thing. He's one day going to get off this island and deliver it. And if you've seen the story, movie, if you haven't, spoiler alert, he does make a raft, gets rescued by a ship. He gets off and he delivers the package. So we're going to pick up on this because the movie never shows you what's in that package. But you're going to find out today. Let's watch this quickly. Hi. Hi. I was marooned on an island for five years with this package. And I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. That's very admirable. Thank you. Hey, well, by the way, what's in the package? Huh, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Just all the things that would have got him rescued within 24 hours or in the box. Uh, when I thought about that, I thought, you know what? I think we're like that with our spirituality sometimes. We got all these things that God wants to give, all these things that want to help us live life to the fullest. And by the way, I want you to know this, people. Jesus said, this is Jesus. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure. Have it abundantly. Have it overflowing. The devil, doesn't, oh, the devil may lie to you and tell you that, but Jesus, who's the truth teller, said what the liar comes to do, which is the devil. He's the father of lies. The truth isn't in him. Everything he does, everything he speaks is a lie. That's his native tongue, one translation says. Everything he does causes, uh, he comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but Jesus comes to give life. So if you're here thinking, eh, I don't know if I want this Jesus. Well, you don't have to go with Jesus if you don't want to. But I'm telling you, he came to give you life, and that to the fullest measure. So today I want to talk about the power of grace. The power of grace. And don't forget in John 1:17 that the law came through Moses. Grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. I want you to know that the, Jesus, the ministry of Jesus is far superior to the ministry of Moses. The ministry of grace is far superior to the ministry of the law. And so we're going to look at this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by what? Grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from whom? It's not from us. This is from God. This is from the Lord. It is the gift of God. It's not by works, not by effort, not by law-keeping. So no one can boast. No one can boast or brag about their salvation and say, I did it. I did it. No. It comes from God. Now, we're not going to go here, so you can jot this down and read this this week. It'll just take you a couple minutes to read it. It's Romans chapter 7. 
In Romans chapter 7, it says that the law worked all manner of sin in him. Now, this is Paul who wrote, wrote this, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, a law keeper, a rule keeper. He said, let me tell you about the law. The law worked all manner of sin in me. And he'll go and tell you, the law is not bad, but I'm telling you, the law created some desire to sin. He said, I didn't even know what coveting was until the law said you shouldn't covet. And then, once I saw I shouldn't covet, this is what Paul said, it worked all manner of coveting in me. I started to covet everything. Now, coveting is a, uh, an insatiable desire for something someone else has. There's nothing wrong with you see somebody's home or, or outfit or whatever and say, oh, that's beautiful or that's nice and someday I'd like to have something like that. That's really gorgeous. That, that's not coveting, but coveting is, I got to have that. All my energy and focus has to go towards getting that. And actually, sometimes in coveting, you become very jealous or envious of the person who has it. And sometimes you'll begin to quote your righteousness. Why do they have that? I'm a much better Christian than they are. As soon as that comes out of your mouth, you're heading downhill. Because you're, you're saying, I'm this and I'm that. Remember the person that said, the people who were looking around, the woman who was ministering to Jesus said, well, if he was a prophet, he'd know what kind of person's touching, touching, uh, touching him. Well, first of all, it doesn't matter. Rejoice with those who have something. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And so we don't covet. But Paul said, when the law came, it worked in me all manner of sin. So the law doesn't keep you from sinning. It arouses sinful desires in you. There's something about telling somebody, don't do this, that they just say, I got to do it. Now, I was raised as a little kid, and we always had some kind of motorized vehicle to ride a go-kart or a mini-bike or a little motorcycle or something from my earliest remembrance. I was four or five years old, buzzing around on a go-kart. And so I kind of believed everybody knew how to ride motorcycles and ride stuff like that. By the way, not everybody knows how to ride them. Uh, I was about 16 or 17, went to a friend of mine's house on my oldest brother's motorcycle, a Suzuki 400. That baby had such mileage. My kids learned to ride on that motorcycle. That's how long that thing was around. And so I rode up to a friend's house, got off. He came out and said, oh, my goodness, motorcycle. That's kind of cool to a teenager. And so he was looking at it, and he said, can I sit on it? And I said, sure. And so he sat on it. And he was not familiar with riding anything like that, nor did he want to ride it. He just thought it was cool. He didn't want to ride that until his mother came to the door and said, you're not going to ride that. You get off that. And he said, well, I'll ride it if I want to. Isn't it interesting how when the law comes, it works all manner of sin in you? And so she said, I can't watch. And so she left. And I said, it's just real simple. Here's your clutch. Just put it in gear. Buzz around the yard just in first. Come back around. Pull in the clutch again. Hit the brake. We'll be fine. Okay, so we go through that a couple times. He's got it. So he takes off. But he, he ain't got it. He doesn't make the circle around the yard. He keeps driving straight. And he drives through these pine trees separating his yard from the neighbor's yard. A few minutes later, he comes back. He looks like something off a cartoon. He's coming back, rubbing his head. He's got a branch in his head, hand, no motorcycle. And I said, where's the motorcycle? I said, I crashed it under the trees over there. I said, well, go get it. He said, I'm not going to go get it. My neighbor's finna get out their yard. I said, great, so I'll go get shot when I go over there and get it. So I go over, drag it out from underneath the trees. It's not beat up or anything. It has a little pine tar on it, but that's it. And uh, it's in good shape. But... I thought about that on this message. He had no intention of riding that at all until he was told, thou shalt not ride. 
then it worked all manner of desire for him to ride. And it's a good illustration of how when you go after sin, you end up crashing under a pine tree and come back with a headache and a knot on your head. So just go after God. So we want to go after the Lord. So how do we do that? If it's not, I've got to be great rule keepers. And by the way, is there a Christian code of conduct? Absolutely there is. I'm not trying to tell you it doesn't matter how you live as a Christian. There's something about us when we become a Christian. If we genuinely become one, we want to please God. But we're trying to figure out how to do it. And so people scream at us about obeying the law. We think that, you know, kind of motivated me for a little bit, but motivated me more out of fear. And then I feel like I can't do it. And then I'm in shame and I'm in, you know, depressed about it. I can't do this. Well, let's find out how God says to do it. I think he's got the truth. So we'll look at one of Paul's protégés, one of his uh, trainees, and his name's Titus. You remember Timothy, Titus, Paul really poured into their lives. So in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to how many people? All people. It, now I want to define it because I don't want us to miss it. So what's the it we're talking about? The grace of God. So let's start again. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say what? No. No. Teaches us to say no to ungodliness and no to worldly passions and to live, to say yes, to self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Hmm, interesting. So the law works all manner of sin in me, but grace teaches me to say no. We need to learn to embrace grace. We've got to embrace grace. So if the grace of God teaches us, and doesn't just teach us, we see from the scripture, it actually empowers us. It empowers us to say no to sin. It empowers us to live upright lives, self-controlled lives. Then we need to figure out how to be more grace-filled. We need to figure out how can I better embrace grace. And so Peter gives us an insight, 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to notice how often in Scripture, it never talks about us being a finished product except the finished work that Jesus did in us. The finished work he did, it's done. It is finished. Hebrews says our high priest Jesus has made us perfect forever. On the cross, Jesus said it is finished. Those are final things. But in our lives, it's always grow, teach, keep being taught, keep practicing, keep putting into practice, keep doing this, keep doing because we're growing. And so we have this salvation in us that we want worked out through us. It's totally complete, but we want to work it out in our lives. So when we see this, we're told to grow. We haven't grown already, except in the finished work of Jesus that he did in us, but we're growing. We're in a growth process. And so it says, so it says, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. School's getting ready to start again. Uh, sorry for young people to discourage you with that information, but it's getting ready to start again. And we don't send a first grader to the first day of school, and they come back from school and said, I've already learned. I'm done. Some of those little first graders wish that was true, but they're not done. So they keep going back and back and back and back and year after year after year after year, and they keep growing, growing, growing what? In knowledge, in information. They keep growing. They never arrive. And truth is, many of you here are lifelong learners. You continue to learn, 
and you haven't even been to school for a long time, but you're continually growing. So we're supposed to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now that's a great idea, Peter. Now how are we going to do that? How are we going to grow in grace? How are we going to grow in the knowledge of Jesus? Well, Colossians 3 tells us, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, and then we'll skip to verse 16. In Colossians 3, 1 and 2, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Now, I want to pause there because you may think of, well, what's, what's it mean being raised with Christ? I mean, I was raised with my cousins. I was raised with this, or I was raised in this particular town or community. That's not what it's talking about. If we read the whole thing, it would be clear to see in Colossians 3, it's talking about being raised to a new life. Remember, Jesus died and rose again. When we baptize, we often say, uh, just like uh, the scriptures say, buried with him in baptism and raised to newness of life. So that's the raising it's talking about. Dead to sin, dead to self, alive to God, we've been raised. And so it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. Now, does that mean we never think about anything on the earth? No, that's not what it means. You, you got yards and bills and work and school and just things to do. There's stuff to do on planet earth. But what it's talking about is talking about our life revolving around Jesus. Now, if that's a foreign concept to you, I want you to get it. Our lives as Christians need to revolve around Jesus. doesn't mean you don't do the yard or clean the house or go to work or go to school or do any of those other things. doesn't mean that you don't have hobbies and have fun, take vacations, do all that stuff. That's all part of living life, but it revolves around the Lord. In our solar system, we have a sun, and the planets revolve around that sun. Now, Earth is doing a lot of work all the time. It's spinning all the time. It's rotating all the time. It's doing this kind of thing as it goes around the sun but it revolves around the sun. The sun's the center point of that. If the earth decided, I'm sick and tired of making my life revolve around the sun, I'm just going to shoot out into space. We'd all be dead. We'd be dead. Another great illustration about not going after God. When we decide, I'm going to do my own thing, go my own way, I'm sick and tired of revolving my life around Jesus, which I will tell you this, if you ever begin to revolve your life around Jesus, I highly doubt you'll get sick and tired of of revolving your life around Jesus, but we say, I'm going to go do my own thing. You can. You can. Just hear it from me today. It don't work out well. The Bible says that when we do that, Paul told Timothy, another one of his trainees, some people have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves. Did you catch that phrase? The devil didn't do it. They pierced themselves with many, plural, griefs. So stay with the Lord. So we set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. And then in verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you how? Richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, if we would have read on, I think it's Colossians 3, 4, that says, when Christ, who is our life, appears. So we're getting an understanding of Christianity. Jesus is to be our life, not a part of our life. If you're here today, I just want to tell you this, and Jesus is just a part of your life. You say, well, I got you know, nine priorities, but Jesus is ten. You need to change your priority list. Just move him right up to the top. Uh, he, he, your, Jesus should be our life. He should, it, it, we revolve around him. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Be holy and pleasing in his sight, for this is your spiritual act of worship. 
That's our worship. So, and God gave us everything to enjoy. I, I just, I'm amazed, that, and this is truly, the Bible says we have an enemy of our soul, and that's the devil, and he wants to always try to discourage us from believing God. It's not a new trick. started right in the Garden of Eden. Did God say, oh, it's not true. He'd all know, you know, everything. The whole thing is God's trying to hold you back. He doesn't want the best for you. Well, go after the devil's way, and you'll find out that God did offer the best, and the devil's a liar. So here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns, psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. So these are some things that will help us embrace grace, that we go, okay, I'm going to let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. I'm going to grow in the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his word. I'm going to be a person of worship and thanksgiving. All these things help us grow in grace and grow as believers. And the more you grow in grace, the more you grow in grace, the less sin you do, not the more sin you do. See, that's a, another lie or misunderstanding or poor teaching from people like me that, that you've been convinced that, no, you can't teach grace. If you teach grace, people will live wild. No, if you teach grace properly, the way the Bible says, you'll be more holy, more righteous, not less. I suppose there is a, a unbiblical grace that could be taught that, hey, just give your life to Jesus, go live however you want, you can live like Lucifer, it doesn't matter, go sin it up and feel good about it because it's not a problem. That's not the grace the Bible teaches. We're going to grow in grace. We're going to grow more and more and more in the things of the Lord, and it will keep you from, from sinning. Now, I want to say this. We're growing. I would like to tell you that after today, you will be fully grown, but it's not true. You're going to keep growing, and so you may leave here today, and you may say, oh, man, I got that teaching. I, I yielded myself to grace. I trusted God, and I still did things that weren't right and sinful today. Okay, but guess what? You still got tomorrow, and his mercies are new every morning. So you wake up the next day and say, you know what? I'm going to let the grace of God rule my life, not my flesh, not my passion, not the devil, not this world, not sin. I'm going to let the grace of God rule my life. Here's the beautiful thing about God, and it's really interesting. We can't do anything without him. It all, I mean, he has to empower us. He gives us the ability. He helps us grow in grace. It's all because of him. It's like when you're a little kid and your, your mother or father's having a birthday and you want to buy them something for their birthday. Do you know what you do? If you're four or five years old, you say, Mom, I want to buy something for you for your birthday. And I think it's going to run about 20 bucks. Can I have $20 to buy you something? And, and Mom says, here you go. It, it's, it's like that. Everything we do that we grow in, all because of the gracious gift God gives us. We need his help to love him. We need his help to live right. We need his help to live righteously. So here's some action steps, because one thing I found out about people, everyone loves homework, right? Yeah, everyone loves homework. So here's just some homework. Read, study, and meditate. Meditate means to maul on, chew on, think about, ponder, meditate on the word of God. Now, if this is all the words you get, this isn't enough. You got a Bible. Open it up and read it. We live in an era where there's probably a hundred wonderful godly Bible studies. And I want to encourage you. I tell people this. Find 
quality people who teach a quality word because there's a lot of garbage out there too. And I bet they have a daily devotional. And they'll send it to your email. And you can wake up in the morning and have it ready for you. You say, I'm not into technology. That's fine. Go to the Christian bookstore and you'll find lots, dozens of devotions you can do every day. Most of them take 5, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. is generally a long one. And you can get the word of God and you can chew on it, meditate on it. You could turn on a good, good Christian show. Darlene and I got up for probably three years and listened to this person every morning. Every morning. And it just it fit our time slot. Great Bible teacher, good nuts and bolts Christian teaching. And we watched it every morning. So we got a dose of, of the word in us every morning. There's all kinds of options. It doesn't matter to me what you do. Just find something where you're getting the word of God put in where you can chew on it and think on it meditate on it. And the Holy Spirit will use it for when you break it. When you break it, the Holy Spirit will say, ah, you know, don't, don't do that. When, when I was raising our children, I would try to instill things into them from Scripture. By the way, a little parenting tip, do not punish your children by making them read the Bible. Okay, just seriously, because sometimes people say, you've been an awful child, go to your room and read the first three chapters in the book of Psalms. Because you know what they start connecting it to? The Bible's filled with punishment. I mean, if you're going to get in trouble, you have to read the Bible. So I don't want to do that. So I'd, I'd always try to instill things in my kids, just scriptural things. And so uh, I don't know if you know this, but kids fight. Did you know that? So I would say, hey, you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that the wrath or fighting of a human being does not bring about the righteous work of God. It doesn't do that. So we don't need to fight with one another. And then I would uh, instill other things into them, uh, that, that we should turn the other cheek, or, or also that, uh, that you should not repay. This is one I told them all the time. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't repay evil for evil. And they would get that. One time I, I was talking to one of them, hit the other, kick the other, and so the other was getting ready to punch him back. I know this is crazy because you can never imagine my kids doing this. I know you're thinking, are you kidding me? One of my kids was going to rail on the other one, but before they did that, the word of God had settled in, not into their hearts, but in the other person's heart who said, don't forget, dad says, don't repay evil for evil. And so I knew they were starting to get it, but they weren't getting their side of it on the start. So anyway... So we, we have to meditate you. And the Holy Spirit will remind you if you do something wrong. And by the way, the Holy Spirit can admonish and rebuke and correct us, absolutely. But it's always out of love. I've been corrected by people. And if it's done in love, this always takes an edge off of it. You know, if you know the person loves you when they correct you. And so God will love you. So read, study, meditate the Word of God. Grow in your understanding of Jesus. Grow in your understanding of Jesus. We need to know Jesus and how the Bible, how Jesus revealed himself in the scripture, what the scripture says about Jesus, not what the philosophies are about Jesus, not what the world's idea about Jesus, none of that. What's the Bible actually say about Jesus? How did God actually reveal himself? See, I've told you before, people read the Old Testament, or actually people know very little about the Old Testament. They'll say, man, the, the God of the Old Testament is mean, cruel, awful, horrible. I said, that's funny because the people who knew God best in the Old Testament said he was abounding in love slow to anger, and hated to send judgment. Let's find out the God of the Bible, not the God that the world says is out there. And so I find this all the time. Our culture, and not this culture, every culture has always sinned. Every culture has always had their, 
their pet sins that they love and adore. And I found out that when you pick on a sin the culture loves, there's an immediate response from people. Ah, well, the Bible also says don't judge. That we're not supposed to be judgmental. Now, it's just because you picked a sin they love and the culture loves. We've had all kinds of mass shootings. If you posted something on Facebook and said, what's wrong with people? Why are they murdering one another? No one will send this to you. Well, how dare you judge? God's the judge, not you. Because the culture doesn't like murder either. So they're fine for judging that. Just don't judge anything that they don't deem worthy. And so I got friends that say they love the Lord, and that's their business. I don't know. But anytime the culture has a sin that it loves, and anybody judges it, that's what they say. And they'll say, they'll post stuff like this. Jesus never judged people. Jesus never corrected people. Jesus never did. I say, who's this Jesus you're talking about? I see Jesus correcting people all the time. I see Jesus instructing people all the time. He does it with love. He does it with love. The rich young ruler came, said, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, obey the law. And he said, I've obeyed all of them since my youth. He said, you lack one thing. This is a rich guy. Go sell everything you have. And by the way, this wasn't a rule for all rich people, but he saw that money was an idol in this guy's life. He said, go sell everything you have and come follow me. The Bible says he left sad because he had great wealth. And the Bible also says that Jesus loved him. He told him the truth in love. He wasn't angry at him. He didn't condemn him, but he gave him ways to grow and have eternal life, and he rejected it. So grow in your understanding of Jesus, the Jesus of the Scripture, not the Jesus that people try to tell you he's like. The third thing is in Colossians 3, if we would have read all that, it's another thing for you to put on your to-do list this week. I'm going to read Colossians 3. You can say to yourself, write it down. It talks about putting on right living and taking off wrong living. It's, it's a theme throughout Scripture. Clothe yourself with righteousness. Take off this. Get rid of this. Put on this. It's a lifestyle habit that you start practicing, you know, what you're going to wear and what you're going to put off. And Colossians 3 has that. So you've all got logged down. You're going to read Romans 7. I know it's going to take you maybe two minutes to read that. And you're going to read Colossians 3, which also might take you two minutes. And I know you're all going to come back having read that. And as I often say, don't burst my bubble. I have it in my head that you all are going to passionately go read those. And I just, I just choose to live in that fantasy uh, that you're all going to go read Romans 7 and Colossians 3. So practice those things. And then the last thing is apply and practice the word of God. It's how you grow. You practice. You practice. You practice. You practice. You practice. You practice. It's true of anything. You hear me say true of a sport, true of a skill. You want to be a builder, you got to practice. You want to learn how to paint, you got to practice. You want to learn how to bounce a ball and shoot a basketball, you got to practice. You practice, practice, practice. You always start out bad and you get better and better and better. And so just keep on working at it. And, and be confident. Be, be encouraging. I remember this little kid. He, and we've all done, at least I think all guys that like baseball have done this. And, and you kind of pick up a ball and you swing at it and hit it. Guys, you like baseball, you've all done that. And so this little kid, he, he was just getting started. So he picked up the ball, swung, missed. Threw the ball up again, swung, and missed. Threw up the ball again, swung, and missed. He picked up the ball and looked at it and said, I'm going to be a great pitcher. So it's all about staying positive. Stay positive in your growth process. You're going to grow. Keep practicing, keep practicing, and you will grow. All these things will help you embrace grace. And as you embrace grace, I promise you this, because the scripture says it, you will be more righteous, not less righteous. 
you'll be more holy, not less holy, because the grace of God teaches us to say no to sinful ways and yes to righteous ways.